Hey, it's Monday night, and that means a brand new episode of Graphic Policy Radio, the show that mixes comics and politics. Tonight, we've got a guest joining us, a uh, pretty hot property in the comic industry, uh, Saladin Ahmed, uh, who is author and Hugo and Nebula nominated author, Thrones of the Crescent Moon. Uh, he's praised by George R. Martin as Rollicking Swashbuckler. Uh, his essays, poetry, and fiction appeared in uh, New York Times, Salon, Boston Globe, Slate, NPR, BuzzFeed. Uh, he's written uh, Black Bolt, which is on numerous best lists for 2017, and will also be writing Coming Exiles for Marvel. And the reason we're going to have him on tonight is to discuss his first original series from Boot Studios. Uh, so for those who aren't familiar with the series, it's about a journalist of color in the 1970s Detroit named Elena Abbott, who investigates a series of crimes the police have ignored, a crime she recognizes as dark magical force. That same force that murdered her husband 10 years ago. So as she looks for clues, Abbott puts herself in the crosshairs of mysterious power out for more blood, all the while navigating a harsh environment that's structured to pre- uh, protect the powerful and prevent access to change. Uh, so I uh, is the writer, and it's art by Sami Kavela, uh, and by Boom Studios. First issue was out last week, and it's uh, got a hell of a lot of praise there. This is a, this is a top um, uh, comic for the week that I think is the, the best reviewed uh, of it. So it's a hot property. we got a hot property as far as a writer, and we're going to look forward to talking to him a little bit. Um, but before we uh, discuss things with him, I want to introduce my co- uh, co-host, Alon. How you doing? Oh, I'm good. I'm really excited. I've been a fan of Saladin's work for years now. Um, I think I first came across it because he, uh, one of his stories was read by Podcastle, which is a fiction podcast that folks should check out if they like free fiction. Um, and uh, I, I've, I've been a big fan of his work since then. Uh, I'm actually, I'm going to be tweeting out a story in just a minute that he recently wrote that is about a djinn, which is um, a uh, like a spirit that fights against uh, ICE, you know, like the deportation forces of the Trump regime, which was exactly what my heart and soul needs in this moment. Um, I just, and I also just, while I'm here, I want to mention if folks are interested in doing a little bit more activist work, um, there's going to be an online convening that I'm hoping to gather. Um, that I'm hoping to gather that uh, is going to be for fans of the Black Panther movie to connect with organizations that are working on racial justice and environmental justice issues. Um, and the uh, that's going to be on February 9th. And that will be from 3 p.m. Eastern until 10 p.m. Eastern. So you can go and join us, you know, during work, after work. Everybody's got a different schedule. Um, We'll be connecting with really awesome organizations like Color of Change and uh, local uh, racial justice organizations that folks might not know yet that we hope you'll get to know. And we'll be putting our fandom powers together to to come up with some specific things that we're going to make. Um, we're going to make memes. We're going to make some fan art. Thanks to artist Jermaine Dickerson, who's going to be joining us. He runs Hero Espelani. He's an amazing illustrator and a, an awesome activist. And um, 
So we'll be doing that. We'll be developing a social media materials to promote. And we just, I really think that the Black Panther movie is an unprecedented opportunity to really broaden the conversation that folks have about racial justice as well as the impact of colonialism and how Europe, you know, invaded Africa, took value out of it, did horrible things to the people of the land, you know, created slavery as a system, et cetera. And what is the of that? Um, so if you're interested in having some of these conversations with folks online, this is an online convening on February 9th. You can go to get more information. I'll be posting it as well, but it's B-I-T dot L-Y, you know, bit.ly, uh, B-I-T dot L-Y slash fan activist con. Fan activist con, like a con of fans who are activists. And um, you can sign up there. We'd love to have you joining us. Um, so that's what's up. <laughs> and the fellow will be with us in just a moment. Yeah, uh, really looking forward to it. And it's, it's a great uh, tie-in. I mean, we talked about social justice and, and activism. And it really feels like this, uh, this comic has uh, some, uh, you know, some of that to it, which I think is part of the reason that you and I are excited to talk to them and really dive into the comic. Yes. It's, it's very, very fascinating in that. Um, I think it does it in a, in a great way where it's, uh, it discusses the issues and uses as a, a backdrop and, and really drives. Mm-hmm. Of the of the story as a whole, so it's uh it's yeah. going to be fun of our discussion. And our guest of honor is on Saladin. Well, welcome Hello. to the show. Hi, Saladin. I am here. Saladin. Oh, Saladin. Thank I, you. Hi. I always no butcher names. I apologize. <laughs> oh, it's no problem. How are you guys? Good, and you sound good on the phone. That's great. Yay. Um, we were Yay. just giving folks the your uh, background and um, one of the things uh, that actually we, we haven't said, which is I'd love to ask you um, is sort of like, how did you start being a, a writer of fiction in the first place? Ooh, gosh, uh, right off the bat, huh? <laughs> um, uh, <laughs> I guess, I mean, I, I always have, first of all, I have to apologize to you because I have a cold. So if I'm sniffling and clearing my throat, I'll try to minimize that. But um yeah, I mean, I've been writing really since since I was pretty small. Um, my dad really encouraged it in me. I wasn't necessarily in a neighborhood where the formal schooling was great. Um, you know, I grew up uh, outside of Detroit in kind of a factory town, a kind of immigrant enclave there, um, Dearborn, Michigan. And uh, oh yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, it's pretty kind of working class environs, um, had some, a few good teachers, but, uh, the, the school itself was really, uh, crushing and, and dull and underfunded and overcrowded. And, uh, um, it was the fact that my dad, um, who, who had put himself through school, um, and was really basically self-educated, uh, um, and, and was a, a factory worker when I was very small and then uh, kind of went out to become a community organizer. Um, uh, and um, he was a reader, you know, so he always had books around and he was always encouraging my creativity. Um, now, part of it is, I think that, you know, 
I do think there's some kind of level of natural inclination or talent. You know, I have siblings who had the same kind of thing hammered into them and they just were like, leave me alone. I don't want to write stories. <laughs> so, uh, you know, it's, 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 it's some mix of things, but certainly, uh, from the time I was pretty small, I was, I was doing that. And I can remember the summer of first grade, actually. Um, I had, uh, you know, an assignment that like, you know, about once a week, um, he would be like, okay, you can't go outside and play until you tell me, write a story. Like just, a, just a little, not, you know, it wasn't grueling or anything. It was, it was a lot of fun. Um, and, uh, I could still remember some of those stories, you know, and some of them were kind of pseudo comic books and some of them were sort of little fairy tale type things. And, uh, yeah, so it did, that, that imprinted on me and I just kept doing it. <laughs> That's awesome. I, I, I have to ask, what's the community organization that he was doing organizing with? Because I might know people. <laughs> uh, access, which is, um, Sort of, it's a it's a local sort of gone national organization, but basically the story is that, uh, um, and I'm I'm getting into this just because I know you guys are kind of politically oriented with with the podcast, the normal comics. You can say that. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, uh, basically, kind of in this moment of '70s radicalism and uh, um, you know the Panthers and all that stuff. Um, my father and my great grandmother actually, and uh, a bunch of other folks who are mostly kind of commie immigrants, Lebanese, Syrian, um, <clears throat> uh, put together a, a storefront kind of legal clinic uh, for the uh, uh, increasing Arab community <clears throat> in Detroit and outside Detroit. Um, mostly just at first helping with like immigration stuff and um, some basic social services stuff, helping people figure out food stamps if they were, you know, uh, needing that and things like that. And uh, uh, it was called ACCESS, the Arab Community Center for Economic and Social Services. And, uh, um, you know, at first my dad was a factory worker working there kind of on a volunteer basis and putting himself through school at the same time and helping to raise me. And um, uh, and my great-grandmother was volunteering and it was all volunteer stuff, but they slowly transformed that into uh, one of Michigan's biggest social service agencies. Um, so, you know, the multi-million dollar budget and hundreds of employees and stuff like that. And they're really a pretty big anchor there in kind of Dearborn, but also Southwest Detroit. Um, a lot of people who are not necessarily Arab come to them for services because, you know, social services have been cutted in, in Michigan. And so yeah. there's not a lot of people helping people find jobs and food and stuff like that. So, so anyway, that I was, I was, you know, raised in the shadow of that being built, you know, um, and it did definitely had an effect on all my work. I definitely see that. I mean, one of the things that I appreciated from the uh, first page, I guess like the first inset page of Abbott is you really situate the story in terms of you know, time and place in a context that shows, because a lot of people like, don't know, they've, they've had so much negative propaganda, it shows you know, the Black Panthers doing the community breakfast program um, mm-hmm. and giving people some of that historical context in the newspaper headlines that are, that are, that are on the, uh, the first and set page. And um, you know, like looking at the image, and you just see, you see factory workers, you see working women, mm-hmm like women who are going to their jobs, you see a, a retail store going out of business, 
you see the breakfast program that the Black Panthers ran, which was to provide hot meals to, to black kids in the community. And then you see the paper coming out. And those are like the key components. And you see a story talking about Nixon bombing and uh, George Wallace, the segregationist, winning in, mm-hmm. winning in Michigan. So I just think like that's like such an, a great like, okay, here's the setting. Here's the world we're in. And these are sort of pieces that you need to absorb in order to make sense of the place of the story. Well, thank you. Thanks. Yeah, Sammy did a great job with uh, – I, I didn't really <laughs> – I didn't expect him to um, to do as well as he did, not because I don't you know, think he's a great artist, but it was just sort of a weird opening page, and he really, uh, with the design of it, just, just did fantastic. But, yeah, but those are definitely the elements that you were like, I want my comic to start with these particular pieces of information, basically, yeah? Yeah, definitely, definitely. There were – yeah, situating it. Um, and, you know, I mean, each of those points sort of has its echoes, you know, um, uh, to kind of current stuff. So uh was kind of selected for that as well without being hopefully too uh, uh, egregious about it. No, not at all. Yeah, I really, really, really like it. <laughs> um, and, you know, I, I should also sort of ask, like, definitely, I, I was going to read this anyway because I'm a big fan of yours, but it definitely made me even more excited because of the setting and the year that it was in. And, um, you know, obviously, like, it's a, it, you know, you, you're doing a story set in Detroit because you have such a connection there, 72 being a really big, pivotal year. But the choice to go with a uh, a journalist, who's doing detective work basically as she's trying to report mm-hmm. as opposed to doing the usual detective story. I, I certainly mm-hmm. have political thoughts on why that's a cool idea, but I don't want to put words yeah. into anyone's mouth. So I'll put that to you. Yeah, no, it was a political choice. And uh, again, it's cool to be on a, uh, a podcast uh, where uh, I can uh, talk about that. Can <laughs> we get into that? Um, uh, because, uh, yeah, no, it was, it was absolutely a choice. It's 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 actually a dual thing, uh, and and I you know I could spiel on about this, but I'll, I'll do a, a short version. So, Abbott is a you know it's a tribute to this sort of a paranormal investigator trope in genre. I mean, a lot of my work is about taking pulpy genres and archetypes from pulpy genres that people love and uh, finding ways to put other people at the center of them you know, finding ways to tell other political stories with that stuff. And, uh, I mean, I, I, a lot of people love, including myself, you know, Fox Mulder, John Constantine, the sort of, you know, this this person who digs at the truth and is sort of like this this obstinate sort of uh, – uh, um, uh, I, I don't mention Scully specifically for a reason because it's Fox who's kind of valued in that specific role on that show and she's problematic uh, in the first place. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, someday we'll have our exile thought, but, <laughs> um, but, but this, uh, this, this type, this type that sees the occult truth when no one else does, right? Um, and uh, it's sort of like tasked with doing something about it. It's such a great, story just straight out in terms of entertainment it's such a great metaphor for other things and uh it's always been just like some white guy at the center of it and uh and usually mm-hmm. and so we'll we'll get to kind of subverting the the race and gender stuff i, I hope eventually but usually it's, mm-hmm. it's a cop or an fbi agent sometimes it's a private detective but even that's rarer now you know it's really like statism <laughs> state violence is the solution right to the uh to the to digging into uh the occult and uh you know 
obviously I have problems with that. Um, so uh, I, I think a reporter um, as a kind of agent of something other than like, you know, the police force or the military or the federal government is, uh, is positioned to kind of uh, screw with the politics of this subgenre maybe a little bit more. So that was absolutely a, a conscious choice um, uh, politically. Yeah. Yeah. Woohoo. And the, uh, the Wayne Barrett <laughs> quote that you start with, journalists are detectives for the people is like just a classic. You know, I'm, I live in New York. I've been reading Wayne yeah. Barrett since 1997, I think. I know that's like only a fraction of his career, but I'm not that old, I suppose. Um, but um, yeah, I, I, yeah. I, 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 I like, saw that quote. That's something you did after he died? Or, <laughs> What's yeah. that? Was that, a, was that a, a, did you think, did you add that after he died or was that always sort of in the DNA of the piece? No, I, you know, I, I, I'll admit that I only came to his work after seeing that quote. Somebody used me somewhere and I was like, who is this guy? And I was absurd. I was like, and I, I, you know, I have to, I, there's a very small bit of license in that. He actually gave this quote. It's such a sweet story. He gave, uh, he was quoted when he was giving a presentation to his kid's class on career day. And so uh, I actually kind of struggle with whether to use the word journalist or reporter because he was using it in response to a question. So his, so his actual, actual verbatim quote is actually, we are detectives for the people, right? But, mm. uh, you know, you have to kind of take a license when you do this to spell it out for an audience and stuff. And so I, uh, <laughs> I actually asked someone who knew him whether that, which word he, I thought they would want him to have used. But, um, uh, yeah, no, but it, it was, it was definitely a tribute to kind of him and the kind of that, that type, you know, which is like, uh, mm-hmm. um, to come back to the other inspiration for, uh, uh, Elena, um, the paranormal detective that she's really a direct kind of tribute to is a seventies TV show, uh, Kolchak, the night stalker, right. Which was, uh, starred, uh, um, uh, Gav- oh God, Darren Gavin, the guy who was the dad in the Christmas story and a uh, really funny, charming actor uh, playing a reporter. And uh, it's a really interesting show to watch because um, he's in opposition to the cops a lot on the show. And it's this very, I mean, there's all sorts of problems with the race and gender stuff on the show, but um, it's this very seventies kind of almost progressive politics, you know, um, uh, mm-hmm. he's, he, you know, um, he's like the cops are sometimes an obstacle and sometimes nefarious actually on the show. And it's, uh, uh, yeah, it's not something you see a lot on TV nowadays. So, yeah. I don't know. So, um, mm-hmm. so that, that, that all mashed together, I guess, when I was kind of figuring out who she was going to be. And you went with, you know, specifically, uh, African-American woman reporter, mm-hmm. um, and um, I, I love that choice. And, you know, I, I don't know if you want to expand on why particularly to go with a black woman, you know, you, you have a, a, a range of different, you know, character uh, races and backgrounds in the story, but uh, the choice to sort of center with her, who I also will add is bisexual, which made me very happy. Um, <laughs> <laughs> well, I, you know, uh, I, I mean, I'll preface it all by saying, you know, inevitably I'm going to uh, get things wrong about all of this. Uh, you know, I mean, I'm a, straight Arab man. So, you know, she's, uh, Elaine is pretty different than me. Uh, I mean, just personality wise, but, uh, certainly kind of demographically 
Um, but you know, I, I, this just pretty early on started being a story about Detroit. Um, and I think, you know, if you're going to tell that kind of a story about Detroit, I think responsibly and just kind of functionally in terms of story, you need uh, a black protagonist really. Um, Mm -hmm. uh, at least in this kind of story, it's not like that. Those are the only stories Mm -hmm. in the city, but, but you know, um, it was, it was really pretty early on. I was sure that's, and I was pretty sure it was going to be a woman because uh, um, just kind of some of the career stuff and the stuff about journalism and um, some of the obstacles, you know, it's, it's always rooting for an underdog always makes things, <laughs> um, you know, a more powerful story. Uh, and uh, so without, you know, kind of like going through some boxes to check or anything like that, I think uh, who Elena is and kind of what she has to face. Um, but also, uh, as we'll see, some of the resources that she has to draw on, um, you know, which I don't think we talk about enough, uh, you know, in her community. Um, I think, uh, you know, all of that. And again, you know, all of that is, is, is makes for a more interesting protagonist, but, you know, also, I mean, a lot of it's just knee jerk for me, you know, it is, I am an mm. airman. I'm, I'm very used to like not, being <laughs> considered for the hero role, you know, and uh, I, I, I think I'm perpetually interested in protagonists who fit that bill, you know, and that's going to, you know, change depending on the context of the story. A lot of times exactly how that's the case, but, uh, but those are the stories that, that tend to be most interesting to me. I think. Well, I, you know, I follow you on Twitter as those most people in the world, apparently. And um, oh, one of the things I like that you tweeted. when people. No, it's amazing. <laughs> You're like so good at Twitter. I, anyway, long story. Um, <laughs> one of the things that you've, all, that you've tweeted really, you know, compellingly and powerfully about that, like I always retweet, is like you do a really good job of explaining how to write characters who aren't like you, like how to do your homework and how to talk to people. If you wanted to expand on that sort of preparatory work that you did for this. Well, I mean, I did do. Um, I, I tried to read a lot of accounts. It's it's a it's a daunting thing, I think, for writers because a lot of us are really antisocial naturally, right? So it's like it's not like getting on the phone with anybody for me is kind of debilitating. So like you know, talking to people about sensitive things and presuming to go in there talking about telling stories that are relevant to their lives is like it's pretty intimidating, you know. Um, I uh, you know I kind of had some friends of friends of family friends that I managed to kind of just have a pretty bare bones conversation with, but I, I didn't do hours of interviews or anything like that. Um, uh, I mean, just because I'm here and because of my dad's generation, I was able to kind of draw on some wisdom. Um, but it's, it's always this balance too, between telling the story mm-hmm. and, you know, accuracy. I mean, I think, the the thing to me is I don't want to add uh, I guess what I what I'd call a kind of insult to anybody's injury. You know what I mean? If there's if there are people who are who have been hurt by the stories that have been told by them and hurt by material history, um, I don't want to be uh, kind of telling stories that that make that feel like you know you're kind of contributing to that or or spitting on them even as that's happening right and they're and you try and find out what are the stories where people feel that way you know um, what are the things mm-hmm. that people say over and over again that people are tired of hearing 
And uh, but ultimately, you're probably going to say some of those things anyway, you know. And you're uh, you're going to try and you're going to think you're doing something really cool, and people are going to think it's not cool. And uh, I w- it was fascinating because for the launch event for uh, Abbott, it was in Detroit, and uh, I was lucky enough to have local a lot of local print coverage. And uh, hmm. so, like the Detroit Free Press did a big write up, um, and the local kind of Alt Weekly, the Metro Times, did a big cover thing. And uh, there were a lot of people there at the comic book store that would not have normally, that aren't necessarily getting their news on the internet, on Twitter, or are not normally comic book heads, right? Um, And specifically a number of like older black women who I think, you know, uh, read about the thing in the paper and were like, hey, what is this? And came down and you know, and uh, and a couple of them were like, I was like, who is this guy? What does he think he could do? And I was like, I'm sure you were, you know. <laughs> and I, I just and uh, and but you know, I, I feel like if you're respectful and you're clear that you're not just well, exploiting like people, basically. Mm-hmm. Oh. Yeah. Okay. Um. Yeah. If you're uh, if you're not being exploitative and you're doing your research and being respectful, I, I feel like most people will be pretty welcoming and uh and, and when they're not you just gotta be gracious and be like you know not let it keep you from from ever doing anything again but but also kind of learning from it i guess you know it's easy to say it hurts you know people say you've hurt them you know um most people unless you're a sociopath you know most people don't <laughs> want to think that they're doing that right um But yeah, so no, the, I, 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 yeah, go ahead. Sorry, go ahead, Brad. Okay. Uh, so the one thing that, that struck me about reading the first two is that, you know, even though you said it in 1972, it could mm-hmm. be today. Um, you know, a lot of issues that, mm-hmm. that you're dealing with, a lot of you know, socially and um, politically and just, it just, other than basically the cost, the, the clothes, it could be, you know, 2018. Um, you know, when, when is that kind of on your mind at all? Like, yeah, you're telling this period piece, but there's also kind of a reflection on today in it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I, I mean, you know, the opening uh, splash that we splash page that we talked about, you know, sort of tries to kind of establish that from the get, right? The the echoes of a of a segregationist. I mean, you know, I saw my state turn to Trump this past election, and so the fact that like the the Republican primary at least. Went to uh, went to Wallace uh, rather than the kind of moderate Republican, uh, you know, and stuff with bombing and all, all of this stuff, you know, the kind of loss of jobs, automation, all of this stuff sort of um, uh, has its echoes. I guess you know, maybe I bristle a little bit at the idea that it could be today, um, in that it's it's walking a line, right? You know, like. Uh, trying to honor the period and not have it just be kind of like everybody has porn stashes right? <laughs> and otherwise it's, you know, but trying to keep those echoes relevant as you're saying and, and have it feel fresh. I guess in that sense, I would like it to feel like it could be today, Like this is not just we're retreading material we already know. Right. And, uh, but uh, at the same time, you know, I'm a history nerd, so I, I wanted to have its specificity too. I, you know, it's like wanting your caking and eating it too, like everything else with writing. 
are you are you doing a lot of research for like the time period to make sure you're getting maybe terms right or locations or clothing and stuff like that? Yeah, yeah, with um within reason, you know, it's like I'm not a, a madman set designer, you know. It's like I I think touches are really what it's all about, you know what I mean? This is all about like constructing a con- a convincing movie set, you know. Um and 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 you do little gestures but uh, I don't think um, you know uh, what is is uh, Abbott's editor's suit. You know, he said, okay, he probably wears a suit that's like a few years out of date because he's a little bit older, right? So we kind of went for uh-huh. a vague, you know, that kind of stuff. We did de- little details like that, but um, in her car, things like that. But at the same time, I'm sure anybody who's like. Uh, you know, a nitpicker could go through. It's like if I you sit there and watch Stranger Things if you grew up in the 80s. If you really want to do that, you could sit there and be yeah. like, no, that, that wasn't called that. It's like, but really, I mean, one hopes that you construct a story where nobody wants to spend their time doing that, right? Well, for the record, I'm a total nitpicker when it comes to things like clothes and music choices, and I think you did a great job. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. I have, Thank um, you. I appreciate I, I am the, I am definitely that asshole, especially about 60s and 70s. And like, I think you did a great job. <laughs> I, I have so it's many like, it's fun to see people do it. That's the thing. It's it's, it's compelling. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I I, um, I I have great fondness of her. The opening shot we have of her going into the place where she's investigating um, – wearing these wonderful high-waisted trousers and her jaunty scarf, and you have the letterer. I actually don't know if it's the letterer or the artist who does this. Puts Abbott in, like, this nice big, bold, like, headline. Yeah. It's not like a headline. Slightly bubbly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Bubbly. And I just made me feel like you could almost hear them singing, like, it's Abbott. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, totally. It was such a fun touch. Like, 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 Like a TV show, sort of, yeah. Yeah, I'm glad that that evoked that. That's what we were going for. Yay. Congratulations, success. Um, actually, this is a question speaking about using her name as an illustration. Like, was this always going to be a comic, or did you ever think about doing this as another, in another form? Um, I, well, there are some pieces of it that had been floating around in my brain for a long time. And uh, uh, I think it – but as, like, an actual project – it started life as a tweet, I think. And I think I said something like, man, I wish there was a, a, a Kolchak or an idea colon or something like that. Uh, uh, you know, Kolchak the Night Stalker, but rebooted with uh, Aisha Tyler in the lead, right? And uh, and I, I did uh, like a two or three tweet little, uh, <laughs> I think, thing on that. And really, that, that was glib, but um, it was actually kind of coalescing some pieces that have been floating around in my mind about something I would want to work on. And, uh, I, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm unfortunately have this, uh, same spoiled consciousness and sensorium that so many of us have of, of TV and movies. Right. Which is like, I, even when I'm working on a novel, I picture a lot of it, you know, uh, as a film in my head, you know? So the question of kind of form is sort of, I don't know. I um, well, as soon as I started to think about it seriously, I started to think about it as a comic book because I don't, you know, nobody's asking me to make TV shows yet. <laughs> so, um, and I knew it had to be something visual. It wasn't going to be something prose. Uh, so, you know, I yeah. As, as soon as I started to think about it in any serious way as an actual project, it was absolutely a comic book. But 
it's a comic that like say more so than something like Black Bolt, um, which is very much a superhero comic tribute to the form of the superhero comic. Uh, this book is, is uh, I think, pretty self-evidently kind of a tribute to TV and movies, you know, mm-hmm. um, as much as it is to comic books. Um, uh, Sammy's style is very intentionally kind of 70s noirish. Uh, uh, Jason's coloring, all of it is kind of, as you're saying, kind of, I think, meant to evoke a kind of gritty 70s detective show. Yeah, no, I definitely think this is one of those comics you can give to non-comics readers. You know, one of the ways, I, when I was writing my promotions of it, I was trying to think about, because I'm like, okay, this definitely has the ability to go wider than just the comics readership, like how I wanted mm-hmm. to characterize it genre-wise. And I kept thinking, like, can you call this urban fantasy? Or does that get to be seen as, oh, it's urban because she's black? When I'm like, it's not urban because she's black, it's urban because it's set in a city, and the fact that it's set in a city is important. And I kind of, like... Everybody's like, oh, genre terms don't matter. It's like, you know, but they do when it comes to a promotional text. So I wouldn't, I mean, in promotion, I would, yeah. you know, urban fantasy is mostly probably a prose term, I'd say, you know, um, like in terms of, I wouldn't, I don't think a lot of TV gets pitched as urban fantasy. You know, I think like it's science fiction or it's horror or it's whatever, um, you know, it's a procedural. Um, I, you know, I think, I, yeah, I, I think I'd, I don't know how it would get pitched. <laughs> I think nowadays you almost pitch things more in terms of like, um, you know, what network you'd be <laughs> pitching it to, you know, um, mm. uh, as, as it happens, uh, boom has a, a first look deal with Fox. So it's funny because of course everybody online is like, Oh, you should take this to follow. You should take this. To, and I'm like, it's, it's not actually in my hands right now. And, and <laughs> I'm fine with that. <laughs> yeah. You know, I really, um, uh, I, I, if it were ever to go anywhere with that and booms, you know, they're like out in LA, um, they're kind of, uh, very intentionally positioned themselves as a, they do a lot of franchise comics and stuff, um, as a kind of media, um, I don't know, uh, it, it, you know, we were thinking about the possibility of this, uh, you know, going somewhere else, even before it was made into an actual comic book. Uh, you know, so, you know, hopefully, hopefully, but, you know, the the chances on that are always like the lottery. Uh, mm-hmm. Every writer I know has had many conversations <laughs> with, not every writer, but most writers I know have had any degree of success with their work have had many conversations with people from Hollywood that sound really nice. And you just kind of go, that sounds nice. That sounds nice. And, you know, it's <laughs> like talking to somebody in a bar trying to <laughs> talk you up or something. And it's like, eh, you're not going to call me. It's okay. I understand. <laughs> and uh, it's all right. <laughs> um, uh, it's not going to go anywhere, you know? So I just focus on it as comics and I, you know, it'd be great if something else happened. It's like with the Marvel stuff, you know, it's like just mm-hmm. totally separate, separate worlds. And, uh, and I, I think I don't ever want comics readers to feel like I'm just giving them something that I'm just, you know, that's a stepping stone, you know? I mean, I, I really feel like I'm lucky having an artist in Sammy that gets the cinematic tribute and the, the television tribute, but is just a, a master kind of craftsman in terms of, you know, sequential storytelling. So, um, you know, it's, it's, it's at home in comics. And if nothing else ever happens, I'll be happy. And if something else happens, I'll be happy too. 
Oh, and by the way, our colorist Jason Wardy is very good. Yes, yes, he is. I mean, just gorgeous. And and the cool thing is people haven't even seen all the cool stuff they can do yet because there's, like, actual monsters coming and stuff like that. And, (laughs) um, yeah, sexy romance moments. And uh, so, uh, you know, so the – uh, both both Sammy's and Jason's talents are going to kind of be on even fuller display in the next few issues. How is it going from, from being pros to comic books? Like, how's that transition mm-hmm. for you? It was really invigorating, mostly. Um, uh, I I was pretty stalled with my fiction. Um, I was only starting to produce short work again after a long drought of producing much of anything. Um, you know, I've been slowly chipping away. I had a fairly successful first novel come out about five years ago. Um, and uh, gosh, almost six years ago now. And, uh, um, you know, I got nominated for lots of awards and did well. And, um, and I, kind of had a nervous breakdown trying to write the second novel, um, like literally. And, uh, um, you know, I, I slowly began to realize that it was one of those books that was, had always been intended to be like a book everybody loves. And then the author comes back like seven, eight, nine years later and writes a sequel and not a series per se. Right. Um, and uh, I always wrote the first book with a kind of, quick shut ending, even though there are all these tendrils to other plot lines. Um, but I, you know, I got, I got frozen. I, I deleted an entire draft of the second book, like put a nail through a hard drive and stuff. Um, so I was really, I was in a pretty bad place with my fiction. I was starting to write short fiction again and starting to chip away at the manuscript very slowly again. Um, but still feeling pretty blocked. And, uh, and Marvel came to me and was like, hey, we want to do a Black Bolt solo book for the first time. And uh, kind of because of the science fiction fantasy flavor of uh, the Inhumans, uh, you know, they were kind of looking at some people from that world, um, writers from that world. And uh, I was like, yeah, sure, why not? And, um, yeah, it just ended up flowing really well. And it it, it, it kind of opened the floodgates, you know. I, um, I I think a lot of stories that were feeling backed up just kind of started pouring out. And so I've just been writing, like, for the past year here uh, and change, I've just been, like, pounding out scripts. On uh, i got a, another series, Exiles, which is coming out from Marvel in a couple months, and then uh, a secret project uh, as well, and maybe maybe even more than that coming down the line like probably later this year. So it's been, it's been great. Wow. (laughs) Well, you know, we, we love black bolt. It's like one of the most consistently praised comics, a graphic policy. And, um, you know, I I said, like, I actually, I knew before you were doing comics, but, um, I always, (laughs) comics is something you wanted to do. I mean, you wrote Dr. Diablo goes through the motions, which is like, Uh, Oh yeah. This is a short story by someone who reads comics. Um, but, you know, like yeah. not everybody's been able to translate their prose writing into comics so well. And I think yeah. that what's been great is that you really do, like, like leave things to the visual that I think other writers think that they have to fill with text. Uh, that's, I had to learn that. And, 
And, you know, if you pay close attention, like if you go through the trade, um, I, 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 you know, I fudged a little bit because the first issue, it worked out really well having really dense captions because of who Black Bolt is. And so I, mm-hmm. I just kind of lucked out that people didn't see me learning. <laughs> um, you know, there's a lot of sleight of hand with that. And uh, Christian, uh, Christian Ward in particular as a collaborator um, uh, was really helpful in terms of helping me figure out how to kind of get out of the way. <laughs> um, not in any kind of offended way at all. Um, and he would have been mm-hmm. happy to kind of do exactly what I told him and put exactly what I said where, but he was so helpful in gently suggesting that maybe this would flow better if you didn't have all of this and that here. And look, I'm already showing this. You don't need to say that. Um, and it, you know, I mean, I take a hint pretty, I'm a pretty quick study in terms of writing stuff. So, <laughs> um, you know, I, 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 I picked that up, but I did, I did need to be told. <laughs> well, it's interesting because, you know, I'm like the world's biggest Jack Kirby fan. I guess it's a competition I won. And um, I, <laughs> I always sort of regard the Inhumans, and having, having read a lot of things about the Inhumans, with the Inhumans, I always sort of regarded the Inhumans almost as more of an aesthetic than actually characters themselves. And what kind of blew my mind is like, you know, I, yeah. I, mean, I love Christian Ward's art. I love it. Um, but like my Black Bolt was always predominantly about ha- having zigzags and like amazing little accordion uh, pleat wings, Wait, and that's not yeah. what your Black Bolt is about at all. Like those aren't <laughs> things that you even emphasize. Yeah, the, yeah, the like, wings are you know, more saily. He's a little more like a manta yeah. ray or something like that. I, oh, that's totally um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. so it's sort of like okay, like you know, did, did you make up the whole like the Midnight King as a framework? Did you like? And did no, you, did his, Christian Ward get assigned to it, or? No, that's his. Uh, well, uh, that's his name. You know, his uh, his, like you know, Kirby and and Stanley would just throw out these things, and it's like who the fuck knew what they meant? He's also called the Celestial Monarch, I think, or something. Yeah. <laughs> Gosh, no, I should. I write the guy should remember, right? Um, it, it's it, just these titles that don't really mean anything. Like he's the Midnight King. Yeah. Because he wears black, basically. Black. <laughs> like there's, not, yeah. <laughs> there's nothing night-related about Black Bolt, but it sounds cool as fuck, so you throw it out there a lot. You know? <laughs> um, uh, and, and, yeah, so I leaned into that kind of stuff. There's a lot about, um, you know, it's just, it's just there because it looks cool. I mean, that, that, was, that was the first, that was the beginning of the discussion between Will and I was, you know, I was sort of like, well, here's what I know about Black Bolt. You know, and I kind of went over, like, I know his powers, I know his, and I was like, and he's, you know, got that iconic costume, and that's really about it. And he's like, yeah, that's really about the, all there is to him right mm-hmm. now. And that's kind of the point, right? So, yeah. How did you develop interiority for a character who just, like, hasn't been able to have any before because he doesn't speak, which, I mean, shouldn't really limit, but also just because nobody really cared until now? Mm-hmm. Like even like the good even the good comics about Inhumans like Jay Lee which is like that the book that they did was great but like it just wasn't it wasn't really about him and who he was you know that wasn't the focus right well I I mean I think taking him away from Medusa specifically uh, allowed for some of that um, there's this weird Denny O'Neill run uh, uh, with Neil Adams drawing uh, like. I want to say it's the early seventies and uh, where black bolt like loses his memory and he's in like San Francisco for a few days. And it's, it's really like, 
And it's all narrated second person. <laughs> so it's like, you are black <laughs> bolts. <laughs> it's, uh, it's, it's pretty great. Um, it's so, <laughs> you know, I kind of like, and, and that, that got sympathetic. So I, 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 that was a helpful few issues to as, as kind of counterculture, 60s, 70s, cheesy as it was, it was very helpful. Um, but I think also just kind of sympathy, you know, I don't really, for me, it was a challenge because I am kind of like, I'm a pinko. So the sort of, like sympathizing with a king, sympathizing with a kind of basically kind of like uh, a guy who presides over a eugenicist empire, you know, is uh, is not my natural inclination. So mm-hmm. I had to kind of dig into stuff. I started to think about, you know, there's this whole storyline about him being uh, basically isolated as a kid, locked in a soundproof chamber for his entire childhood. And it's because you know, because like science fiction, that kind of science fiction writing at uh, Kirby and, and Lee were, were kind of bringing into comics, just, you know, that didn't care about the ethics of that. It was just like, what a cool experiment thing, right? <laughs> and uh, it's never like, that's never abuse in any of these storylines. So I'm like, okay, let's think about this as a guy who kind of got abused and literally can never talk about it. And, um, um, you know, is, is, is a ruler, but kind of like God handed that as part of what's warped in his life. And, you know, and, uh, and I, I don't know, I think sympathy is where I always start with characters. So, you know, how do they hurt? You know, um, um, how can I relate to them even if I, uh, disagree with them? So, you know, that's where I went. And, and the nice thing about, you know, comics is like, a novel's weird because you have a whole year, let's say, I mean, you know, obviously lots of varying writing times, but let's say a year to write a novel. Um, and while it's true, in the, you know, you get to know the characters over that year, it's a different thing than sequentially getting to know a character uh, kind of serially over a series of months, right? So I imagine this is more like what a writing a TV show is like where you, you get time to think about kind of who this character is and to kind of go back and forth with seeing how people respond to the character. Not that I'm, you know, I'm not like writing to, uh, you know, Twitter comments or anything like that. But, uh, but you know, it's, uh, I don't know. It's, 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 it's been really fun so far, kind of uh, being able to kind of reveal his character and figure it out as I'm revealing it. Well, speaking of things that speak to the needs of your audience, I, I just really found that the uh, Captain America moments in issue nine were just really emotionally necessary and important. And I know a lot of folks were really happy to see that. So thank you on behalf of the Captain America fans for having <laughs> it, Captain it America really, it, talking it about what so he did. It made me so happy to see people. Yeah. 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 No, thank you. Uh, seeing people share that made me really, uh, you know, inordinately happy because I, you know, again, I'm, 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 I'm so far left and like the whole idea of a flag superhero is so, I'm so contemptuous of that, but I have this super soft spot for, for a certain mode of Steve, especially like as he was written, say like in the seventies and, and, and very early eighties as this kind of, this kind of liberal who's trying to figure out what the hell happened. And, uh, um, so yeah, I kind of went there with him and it was so cool to see that people like were like, yay. <laughs> Thank you, guys. 
I mean, and also just in general, like, you know, the, the way you gave voice to Titania, who's, you know, and to, um, and my whole, and to the absorbing man and just like, you know, I, I, it's such an amazing combination of characters, but it was just also just great to have her be really powerful and, and, and present in the story like that. I, 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 I like having her around. Thank you. Well, she's going to be uh, she's going to be around the next couple of issues, uh, so um, and she's going to she's going to yeah I, she's going to have some moments. <laughs> and what's funny to me is that like there's definitely like you know you're, you're, this comic is definitely dealing with questions of like guilt and incarceration and like who gets to be judged as good and bad. Um, but I don't think that people have been focused, I guess, as much in that around the conversation, which in some ways is spared some drama perhaps that it might have had otherwise, but uh external drama. But um but yeah, it feels like this has been like it's definitely super science fiction, but it's really emotional as well. Yeah, well thank you. That's what I'm that's what I'm trying for. Um was the decision yeah, and all the, to... uh, all, all the stuff I got oh, I'm sorry, go ahead. Sorry, as I say, well, actually, one one question I had was the decision to have Blinky, like, have a, have a small child sort of take place in it, um, something that, like, you knew you wanted from the start, or did that kind of come into a later? Yeah, yeah. It, uh, um, she started out a little older, and I wanted to, uh, actually, one, I, I don't think the impact was enough, you know? She was, like, 16 or something, um, uh, I mean, you know, there's a pretty blunt point with her and with a Monsteroso, kind of giant monster kid of uh, just about juvenile incarceration. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and uh, um, I mean, as blunt as you get when it's in a space prison, <laughs> I guess, with aliens. No, but it's very clear. Uh, you're like, but, yeah, this is a child. You're <laughs> crying. Yeah. And uh, uh, so, you know, there, there was that. And, uh, you know, and then uh, Black Bolt's got an entire to my mind, often neglected a uh, bit of history, which is that he's got a kid that he, he didn't really raise. And uh, so, you know, I, daddy guilt's always fun <laughs> to stick somebody with. So, uh, um, you know, giving him this opportunity to kind of maybe uh, at least fix somebody else's life, even if he couldn't, or help fix somebody else's life if he, he couldn't do that for his own kid the way he was supposed to. A lot of us felt the scene with his son was really cathartic, and we're really happy to see that included. Um, Yay! (laughs) This all makes me so happy to hear. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Well, I also want to talk about um, you, your story that you had in uh, Slate magazine, the short fiction about ICE and Jin, ICE as in like immigration customs and enforcement, aka La Negra, aka the Gestapo, Mm -hmm. aka Satan. Um, (laughs) And I have been really hungry for like folks to do some really like on the fucking nose um, science fiction mm-hmm. or, you know, or, or horror. I mean, I, I'm actually working on a horror thing myself, but like uh, stories dealing with ice, like as it is right now. Um, uh, so for anyone who hasn't read it yet, you can go and read the story for free at Slate called Clay and Smokeless Fire. Um, and it's a really great short story. I wasn't sure if, you, you know, if there maybe there's a little bit we could talk about that without getting too much into Spoilers, but um, go ahead. Yeah, sure. Yeah. So um, you like using gin uh, in here, which is 
I, you know, like I know what they are, and yet I feel like if I characterize them, I will somehow mess it up. Um, how how do you define gin uh, in your stories? Well, so um, I mean, my my interpretation of them is is super idiosyncratic, obviously, but uh, well, maybe not obviously, but uh, I, I mean, traditionally, gin are kind of part of uh, Islamic and, and actually pre-Islamic. I don't know if I want to use the word folklore. That's not the word. <laughs> uh, they're part of belief in that part of the world. And uh, um, uh, the the way this is traditionally explained is that uh, whereas, you know, people were made uh, and angels were made, and people were made sort of from, depending on the version, clay or a, a, blo- a clot of blood, um, angels were made usually from, from light in most versions. And, uh, and uh, jinn were made from a uh, something called smokeless fire, whatever that is. Um, and uh, they're uh, they're a sort of third order of being alongside human beings and angels. Um, they have free will, unlike angels. You know, more like human beings. So they're good jinn and evil jinn. And uh, you know, they're um, come to Western culture, of course, as genies, and uh, which is sort of latching onto kind of one version of them and kind of coming through the Arabian Nights and stuff. But, you know, they they uh, function kind of in, in both people's belief and in kind of just little folklore bits in, in, in a lot of the Middle East as uh, the same roles that, say, angels do in, in, or devils in some uh, some of the traditions. So, um, but, you know, my version in, in the story is pretty uh, fantasy, you know, fantasy fiction-ish, you know, sort of an eternal lived being and he's he's actually his name's um Kamkam, which is uh after a a, a jinn and a Najib Mahfouz story who's a the great Egyptian writer one of the few uh, now Nobel novelist the only Nobel novelist from the Arab world um, huh. so uh from he has a, a novel that in English is called uh Arabian Nights and Days and uh there's a, a, a genie in their name, Kum Kum. So this genie is not supposed to be that guy, but he's named after that character. It's a little trivia. Got it. <laughs> well, I love, like, you know, you do, like, you're doing uh, fantasy stories that are set in Middle Eastern mythology as opposed to Anglo, which is a relief because, like, I feel like we're kind mm-hmm. of done. Like, how many more Tolkien-based stories do we need? So that, I mean, I know that kind of trying to move away from that was one of the, the reasons for your starting, like, Throne of the Crescent Moon, but um, it was cool to see that mythology uh, in this short story as well. Well, thank you. Do you think that, do you think that um, there's, like, a, pos- a potential for sort of a, a, a wave, perhaps, of other writers using non uh, Tolkien related mythological settings to tell their stories. Oh, I think there there already is, um, and and the problem is whenever I you know do this on the spot, I'm going to like leave out lots of people. But there's a yeah, there, there there's a wave happening right now. I mean, particularly in YA, uh, uh, and particularly among women writers of you know Arab South Asian. Uh, various other kind of pan-Islamic descents. Um, uh, there's a, a woman named uh, Asma Khan, 
who's a, she's a, a Canadian writer of a, I, gosh, I'm going to mess this up. I can't remember if she's Pakistani or uh, I think she's Pakistani. Um, and uh, she's a mystery writer, but also a, a fantasy writer. Um, there's a recent, um, her book is called uh, The Blood Print. And it's an epic fantasy that's kind of um, a kind of anti-patriarchal Muslim epic fantasy. It's really good. Um, there's a book called City of Brass um, recently that was uh, published, um, and I'm not going to be able to tell you the author's name right now because like we live in the Twitter world where everybody's just a little picture and I, and I can't remember her, her Twitter handle, but um, the book is called City of Brass and uh, the author's first initials are S.A. And uh, um, it's a book about an Egyptian con woman in the 18th century who pretends that she's speaking with Jin and then finds out Jin are real and uh, taken to their world. Um, and there's a couple of uh, YA writers also that have done really successful actually recently uh books that have this uh this um to varying degrees of explicitness and varying degrees of kind of secondary worldness right some of them are made up worlds some of them are actual historical books um uh with islamic and, and arab influences so it's it's been really cool it's been really cool to see that because even five years ago when my novel came out it was in a uh, a much less crowded field so it's like really cool to see that there is this kind of wave of that happening and to see it being led by young women writers is really cool too. Well, I'm excited to have a story, a short story I can post with the hashtag, no band, no walls, no raids. Like I think you covered <laughs> cool. all of those bases there. Did you have the idea to do something about ice before slate approached you about, or no, that no. Together? I mean, I guess uh, I was sort of raging at that Trump election moment, you know, I mean, I have two small kids, not that everybody isn't terrified for lots of reasons, but I was just kind of in this very particular moment looking at them and they're black and Arab. And it's like, yeah, I was just in a dark place with, with, uh, as, as a lot of people were. And uh slate actually came to me saying, Hey, it was Ben winter specifically. Uh, I should say the, uh, novelist, uh, who, um, was putting this together and, uh, did a great job of kind of, getting a wide range of voices and kind of both in terms of genre and, and the writers. It's called the Trump story project. It's still up there. People should, should check it out. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's exactly what people did is everybody did a kind of fiction in response. Um, now I, I think I was probably the most genre yellow. I think there was a, there was a mere feature story in there too. Um, uh, I was just probably the only straight up fantasy, but uh, um, you know, that's how I think about everything is <laughs> through that lens, I guess. Cool. Well, I tweeted that out so folks can give can 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 check that out. Okay. What what do you see or like what's your opinion about the role of entertainment in in uh, taking on today's issues in society and reflecting that and and maybe doing that that just journalism can't. Yeah, that's always like this this uh, fraught question because uh, on the one hand, um, you know, I really my spine gets up at the at the notion. I hate being told what my responsibilities are as a writer. It feels uh, banal and bossy, and uh, um, you know, um, 
you know, like, you don't know who the hell I am, <laughs> you know, uh, don't tell me what to do, you know, um, and, uh, and then there's also this, uh, this part of me that's, like, really resistant to the writerly hubris of, you know, uh, well, we can change the world, and uh, so now it's, it's, there's a lot of hard, boring work that has to be done to change the world, it's not just, like, me getting to tell stories, you know, and uh, I, I think over, you know, overvaluing our own work in, in the revolution or whatever it is, um, I think it's something that a lot of writers suffer from, right? So I, I try to never tell myself my work's going to change things. I try and t- never tell myself that's my responsibility for my work to change things. Um, at the same time, I mean, just because of who I am, how I was raised, as I was talking about earlier, um, uh, kind of, how I see the world looking at me and people with names like mine and my kids. Um, I have to respond to the stories, the specifically to the stories that are out there being told about all sorts of things that are lies, you know? And, and so I want to, I, I feel the need to respond to those stories and the stories that I tell. And, uh, you know, so inevitably uh, I'm going to, I'm going to do that, but I, I try and do it without some, arrogant notion that like, you know, uh, writers are the chosen ones or something like that. Fair. Very fair. Um, yeah, that's a good attitude. Yeah. 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 It's, uh, <laughs> yeah. I just say that's a really, really good attitude. Um, with, uh, with, with Abbott, um, like how I'm trying to, so you know we we see you you've you've talked about like how it was influenced by Coljack and and this kind of horror detective uh, story. Um, like we've seen so much horror out there. You know how do you see like pressure of being original in that? And um, you know are are you like just of other things out there to make sure you're not copying that? It's so interesting that you mentioned horror because uh, the big anxiety uh, – I don't know if I'm supposed to talk about this. Well, I'm, it's fine since it's successful now, right? But the, the big anxiety <laughs> was uh, uh, with, with the marketing and stuff was uh, that there's too much crime stuff out there. Uh, so it's interesting that you, that you say that about horror, at least in comics. I, um, but I, I guess in any case, I think with, with both kind of angles on that, um, I think that the the setting and who Elena is <clears throat> and the stories, you know, she's telling as a journalist, I think uh, instantly and, you know, and where I, uh, not to sound, put too much of this on me, but uh, uh, where I see horror as a writer, <laughs> um, I think it's pretty different than a lot of places um, we see it in, in most stories, Right. Um, I think that's one of the cool things about some of the new horror that's that's been coming out, like Get Out and film and things mm-hmm. like that, right? Um, and uh, yeah, so I think I think that instantly um, when people see the trails that uh, Elena's following, uh, I think that that I hope that this book will distinguish itself uh, pretty clearly, pretty quickly. Is is there any other? Is there any that you that you like you really enjoy, like horror or detective? horror comics? You said that, or or even detective, just 
on comics. Um, like you, you mentioned that was kind of Jack, but is there anything that you particularly jo- like really enjoying that genre for, or either of those genres? Um, uh, in, I'm sorry, in terms of comics, you're saying? Comics, movies, TV, books, like yeah, yeah. I mean, um, uh, all that stuff. Um, definitely, you know, it's funny because I've been going back stylistically. I've been going back to a lot of kind of golden age stuff, you know, because <laughs> that's that's when and and you know most of which God knows who the writers uh, <laughs> were for, right? Um, and so uh, uh, there's, for instance, this. Um, the wonderful thing about the internet is so much of this stuff is out there online and uh you know there are entire issue scans of the the whole run of this great comic called uh uh crimes by women right which is a, a huge comic right before the comics code came along and uh you know probably some of the strongest women in comics up until that point and they're all like you know bloodthirsty criminals <laughs> but you know it's like just all these really kind of feminist panels and stuff like that. And so uh, when I'm looking at a character uh, readers have not yet met, uh, but Elena's ex, ex something, <laughs> ex flame, uh, uh, what exactly they call it is a, is kind of a little bit of a debate <laughs> between them. But uh, um, uh, Amelia is this kind of gangster woman in a big hat right and uh and so she's lifted from that that kind of pulp era of comics um but in terms of horror um i mean i've always been drawn to that stuff that that does kind of lean into the social edge of things you know um uh and you know there's there's you know stuff happening now like get out that's doing that but even back in the day it was as imperfect as it was, it was always like that that drew me to stuff like Wes Craven's work or John Carpenter's work. Um, and, uh, and, you know, this is a period book that I think is, is trying to kind of impart some of that flavor. Nice. Very cool. Uh, well, we've held, held you for an hour. I'm sure you've got tons of stuff you need to do, so we don't want to hold you too much. Um, when That's we wrap up, we always like to, no, it's been, it's been great. I love this. Um, it's rarely that we get to talk to like another political like us. <laughs> so, <laughs> no, this has been, this uh, been a really great conversation. Yeah, I appreciate it. Uh, we have to have you back on for, for Exiles and some other stuff down the road when you announce it. Um, we, we want to give you the platform to allow folks who are listening to find you online. So plug projects, plug where they can find you on Twitter or websites or whatever. Yeah, sure. Um, I actually don't have a website anymore, sadly, uh, but I'm on Twitter all the time. Uh, it's just Saladin Ahmed, S-A-L-A-D-I-N-A-H-M-E-D. Uh, and, you know, that's pretty much my home on the Internet is Twitter. That's where I make announcements and things like that. Um, Abbott uh, is in stores, as is Black Bolt every month. And... Um, uh, Exiles will start appearing in comic shops in April. And uh, um, other things to announce, I think that's all that's public for right now. Oh, yeah. my gosh. Three comic Actually, books is am enough, I allowed right? To ask you, <laughs> am I allowed to ask you real quick? Bringing in yeah. Valkyrie, who looks, like Tessa, Thompson, Tom, yeah, who looks yeah. like Tessa Tompkins, into the world of Marvel is an excellent decision. 
And I was curious Thank if you. that was your inspiration or if that was part of a broader strategy. No, it was uh, it. it um, she was a natural after saw the film. So uh, there was a kind of there was a type, and uh, someday I'll tell the story, and we'll see Javier's original sketches and and so i I don't want to give all of that away there was there was a progression that led to tessa but she filled a role perfectly that um was sort of like who is going to be this in the team and you'll you know probably in some like uh collected edition we'll see who who might have been and stuff like that but uh but you know once it was tessa i was like yes perfect and when she actually acknowledged it on Twitter, I like basically melted. <laughs> it mm-hmm. <was> cool. <laughs> so, um, and you, it's funny and because it's, you talk yeah. about sort of avoiding the, the uh, a certain kind of toxic uh, <laughs> response um, with Black Bolt. Uh, I dodged some of that. There are some people who already hate me and will always hate me because of my name, you know, or because of things I say on Twitter. Um, but as soon as Exiles was announced, uh, you know, with like mostly women, mostly women of color uh, leading the team, uh, you know, queer woman, um, it's Valkyrie. Uh, uh, yeah, they were, they came out of the woodwork. So, <laughs> uh, but, you know, that's kind of unabashedly what this book is. So, oh, well. <laughs> yeah, but actually, I got a qu- Everyone I know question on that. Yeah. So you, you you kind of mentioned before, like Black Bolt, like wasn't really defined a whole lot, and there's like tons of Kirby fans, but other than that, I can't think of any that might actually stab a person if they screw something up. Um, <laughs> the, mm-hmm. But with, with uh, taking on Exiles, um, you know, it does have this rabid base and like just such a kind yeah. of a fandom to it. You know, obviously that's got to be different than doing Abbott. Is creator owned. There's nothing there. Um, Black mm-hmm. Bolt actually like doesn't quite have that base. Like, but Exiles, there's got to be some some nervousness or pressure to it. Uh, yeah, there is. Um, I mean, I'm being pretty explicit that it's a pretty hard reboot, and so I think uh, people are either going to give that a chance or not. And uh, mm-hmm. there'll be some nods to the old runs, but it's uh, both kind of in flavor in the team in the kind of what I'm interested in talking about, it's going to be pretty different, you know, and there's going to be, there's going to be similarities. I think people who enjoyed the premise of the first book will enjoy this one if they're open-minded, but it's, it's a different thing. And, um, you know, basically, you know, Marvel was kind of like, um, you know, this is, that's going to happen, you know, and you just tell the story that you want to tell with this book. And, uh, you know, as long as you're not kind of like sticking your fingers in the eyes of, uh, you know, the old readers, you know, and spitting on them, um, they'll get over it, you know. So, um, uh, I, you know, I, they've been pretty gracious about kind of me um, making this a team into what I wanted. And, and, and I think people are going to find it pretty exciting, I hope. Cool. Well, um, I'm just glad that we get to see an old grizzled Kamala Khan because we never get to see old badass women I mean, yeah, like yeah. we get like 80 different old badass Wolverines and Clint Bartons and those, those, those things are great. Don't get me wrong, but we should also get an old grizzled. Yeah. Yeah. No, she's totally. Yeah. That, that was, that was the intent to make 
her, the kind of old tough guy, and then make Wolverine the little squishy guy, cute guy, who's going to literally have mm-hmm. cartoon hearts popping on him, uh, was like definitely an intentional uh, switcheroo, and it'll make some people mad, but they'll survive. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Looking forward so to we're it. All really looking forward to it. So th- yeah. Exactly. Thank you for letting us digress <laughs> in that direction. And, um, no. Thank you. We'll, we'll hopefully you have you talk. have you back on that. Yeah, we we'll talk we'll talk about that. So really appreciate having on uh, you on and it's been. Thank you guys and uh, yeah, I will let's talk again uh, in a few months or whatever. So you all have a good night. Absolutely, you Thank too. Bye bye. Yep. Bye. All right, we are back next week with a. Uh, yeah, we're back next week with another uh-huh. guest. Mark Russell, who is the writer for the Stage Left, the Snagglepuss Chronicles, the uh, uh, awesome. I don't know, I got. I got to come up with better words than awesome for this week. Uh, it's a very, take, very uh, graphic policy here. radio, like niche market targeted, <laughs> like comic book about Snagglepuss. Yes, from Hanna Barbera, basically being Tennessee Williams and dealing with the House on American and Activities Commission. I mean, that's, that's, yeah. And being clouded. Yeah. And yeah. Like, so like, it's awesome. The, it's you amazing. Know, the comics we talked about today are, we're like, we're, we're very, very much comics for the kind of folks who listen to our podcast. And next week's guest also creates comics that are very much for the kind of people who listen to this podcast. So we, we oh, hope yeah. you will enjoy, <laughs> enjoy us for some fabulous gay mountain lions who are pink and write plays <laughs> and are in comic books next week. We're going to discuss how that isn't a mountain lion. I think we're going to, we'll ask Mark and see. It is a mountain lion. see for that. Is that what he officially is? I don't know. Pink. He's yeah. He's a pink Jack. lion thing. No, he's, is a, that what he's he is? a mountain lion. He's from, that means he's from California, probably, right? So. I, I have no anyway. idea. I, I probably have never really thought about what type of cat is, but all right. Um, <laughs> so you can find me on the internet. Oh, <laughs> No, um, not largely. You can find me on the internet, largely reminding people to join me February 19th for Black Panther Fan Activist Con. Uh, I'm at E-L-A-N-A underscore Brooklyn. And Brett, and, tell us about Graphic Policy. And you can find us at graphicpolicy.com where we got tons of news reviews, uh, interviews more every single day at the site. Uh, something new every hour on the hour, if not more. Or you can follow us on Twitter at Graphic Policy, Facebook, uh, YouTube, Tumblr, pretty much everything at Graphic Policy. We got things pretty covered. Uh, so this will be up on Stitcher and YouTube probably in a few hours. So if you came in late and want to listen to it again, uh, you can go there. Or it will definitely be on SoundCloud and our site to on Tuesday where you can download it, listen to it on or share it with your friends because it was that awesome. Uh, as mm-hmm. always, thanks, thanks so much for lo- uh, listening. Uh, much appreciated. Until next time, I'm Brett. I'm Ilana. Keep it geeky.